Missions means doing hard things in hard places. So are English-speaking international churches, frontier mission base camps, or expat cliques? If international migrants were a people group, they would be the largest unreached people group in the world. They're not just a pathway to reaching other people. And so churches that are outposts for the outsiders can provide a context of belonging and then mobilize them for asking the question, who is my neighbor? Scott Zeller on pastoring in the UAE today on the show, starting in one minute. But first, a word from ABWE president, Paul Davis. ABWE missionaries are coming beside the lost and the hurting around the world. And through the Global Gospel Fund, they're pulling people from the darkness and training them as leaders. They're planting churches, and they're even beginning their own missions movements. You may already support one ABWE missionary. Would you consider a gift to the Global Gospel Fund to support all 1,000 of our missionaries? Thank you for that. Become a partner today at abwe.org slash global gospel fund. Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Advancement and Mobilization for ABWE, joined by Scott Dunford, West Coast Mobilizer and Lead Church Planter for Redeemer Church in Fremont, California. I'm just realizing uh, Redeemer, we've got multiple Redeemer churches uh, coming yes. up in the podcast today. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Um, and uh, I, I will say, Scott and I, you and I, we, we, we were up late last night. I was. You're on the West Coast, but we had a, a good long conversation in the last podcast that we recorded. I don't want to give too much away. I don't know what order these are going to be <laughs> premiering in. But this has been the uh, the Blitz month of uh, just recording a lot of content. I've got a new one, uh, a new little one on the way in our family due in just a few short weeks here. And so I'm partly bracing myself for that. Um, Scott, it's great to join you again and uh, excited to get into the topic that we have today. It's something that you and I have discussed a lot. You and I often have sidebar conversations about contextualization, about uh, the C scale, you know, what's what's good, what, what maybe goes too far or what end of the C scale doesn't go far enough. And as you and I have discussed issues of contextualization and a church embedding itself in the culture and language of the surrounding people group, one of the things that we've talked about is where do international churches fall into that mix? Yeah. And, you know, as someone who's been a part of more than one international church uh, who is pastoring in a place that is very international, even in the United States, uh, and also someone who has friends that are pastors of international churches around the world, you know, this is something that I obviously a discussion I, I really care about, but uh, also as it relates to missions. And there's some that would say, hey, international churches are fine. They're just not missionaries. And others that would say, no, this is the way to do missions. And this is the cutting edge. So let's just cut to the chase. We're excited to have our guest today, someone with a little bit of history with people we know, but not necessarily with us. And that's Scott Zeller. Scott is the executive pastor at Redeemer Church of Dubai. No connection to Redeemer Church of Fremont, other than we think they're a great church. And that's involved in regional church planting and theological education and initiatives, has a little bit of a history and background uh, that he'll get into a little bit with us. So Scott, we're really excited to have you this morning. Uh, welcome to our show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your history and background in missions, and how particularly you got involved at Redeemer Church of Dubai? 
Sure. Well, it's just a privilege to be on this podcast this evening for me. Uh, morning to you. <laughs> um, and so thank you for having me on. It's a joy to talk about these things. It's a privilege to be involved in international church ministry. So always fun to talk about this. How I got uh, to here uh, is certainly a winding road. Um, was born at a very young age uh, in California, Scott. So you're uh, there in my home state. Um, but then fast forwarding uh, in seminary was just trying to think through a lot of different uh, trajectories where ministry could go and was reading a number of different uh, thinkers and scholars and started to triangulate a few different things that I felt like the Lord was putting on my heart through some people that were several steps ahead. And, and so there was a, a passion for the local church coming from guys like Mark Dever and other writers, um, a passion for uh, seeing the gospel in the great cities of the world uh, through Tim Keller and others thinking through those dynamics. Um, and then just a passion for the nations. Uh, as John Piper and uh, others are, were pointing us to the, the the lostness of the world and the unreached places of the world where the gospel was less known and Jesus was neither named nor known. And so for me, as I started trying to think through where could those things be coming together, um, it just was really putting them together and saying, well, why don't, why don't we look and think about a big city in an unreached part of the world and do church planning. And so putting those all together um, led to India and India led to thinking about how to get to India. Uh, India has uh, obviously a number of huge mega cities. Uh, so fit that bill. It's in the 10, 1040 windows. So fit the bill in terms of huge gospel need. Uh, but then back uh, again on how to get there. So it was looking through a, a few different organizations, agencies called the vocational ministry. So wanted to go through a uh, sending organization and actually thought about ABWE, uh, which I know uh, loves this podcast. And so was there at a training conference, training and assessment conference, and actually met my wife at ABWE headquarters. Wow. And so have a lot of uh, affection for that organization. Didn't end up uh, eventually going with them, but did steal the communications director and um, we're happily <laughs> not married the current to communications director, by the way. The current communications director <laughs> is happily married to someone else who, ironically, is also named Scott. We've got too many Scots going on Goodness. here. Just, Goodness. just, um, just the right amount. Yes, just the right amount of <laughs> just the right amount of Scots. So uh, that was a, that was a number of years ago. Angel and I got married and uh, headed over to Delhi, and we're involved in church planning there. Um, loved our ministry there, and we're thankful for it. And we're involved in a few different kinds of ministry there, uh, some church planning in slums, uh, church planning among university students, uh, also involved in theological education. And then the Lord moved us over to Dubai through my health. I have asthma. And one of the, the things about living in cities, particularly in India and particularly Delhi, uh, is that they rank among the most polluted places in mm. the world. And my asthma was uh, killing me, uh, literally. And so... After a few years of being on a nebulizer pretty much nonstop, the doctor said, hey, you might want to think about something else. And so we had no plan B, didn't know what the Lord wanted from us. And we started just thinking through who our friends were, who we could call, who might know of opportunities, had some friends of friends here in Dubai and came over here uh, to see what was going on. And we were just stunned. I um, mean, we had passed through Dubai, uh, going back and forth to to uh, the U.S. from India, but never really spent time in the city. And as we just saw the city and then visited this church, Redeemer Church had been planted uh, three or four years before that. 
uh, what we saw was this city that was about 50% Asian, but 90% expatriate people that were born or hold a passport from another country and realized that not only was this a place where we could be involved in reaching the people that we had initially felt called to, uh, South Asians, but um, expand that vision from reaching uh, a, a city in North India to reach all of North India to uh, being part of a church planting center at the center of the 1040 window here in Dubai. And so that's yeah. what uh, drew us here and drew us into the ministry of Redeemer Church. And it's been a joy uh, to serve in that. So you look statistically at the Middle East, the Gulf states, and supposedly about 100% of the citizens of the UAE are Muslim. Okay, so at the time that we're recording, one of the things that's in the news a lot right now is this supposed historic peace deal between Israel and the UAE. And this is world news because it's a 100% Islamic country. Honestly, I think the question for some of our listeners is how can a church like yours that's not underground, that's English speaking, that's overtly gospel centered, even exist in a place like that? Mm. Well, it's a fantastic story of God's faithfulness working through submitted servants. So the in the early 1950s, uh, not too long after World War II, uh, there was some medical missionaries that were uh, coming back to this region, having served in the armed forces, but wanted to come back uh, to this region to spread the love of Jesus. And we're doing some hospital work in a, another Gulf state, um, a tribal area at that time called Bahrain. And the the sheikhs here in the UAE, or what became the UAE, uh, contacted them and said, hey, we don't have any medical care here. The uh, mortality rate amongst uh, um, births, when mothers were giving birth, it was, it was such that either the likelihood was either the baby or the mom was going to die. It was just terrible. There was no, they're in the desert with no medical care. So these uh, evangelical missionaries came here at the invitation of the ruling families and immediately changed uh, the landscape. There's news articles now where you can go out and find them where the the current ruling family is saying, if these missionaries hadn't come, we might have gone extinct. Um, It was that bad. And so that was in a city not too far from here, about an hour and a half out into the desert called Alain. And they opened a hospital there called Oasis Hospital. And that was in the 1950s, the uh, oil was being drilled for, but not uh, discovered and monetized at huge scale. That was the 60s, 70s, 80s, when when the world just changed, especially the world here in the Middle East, as the money started flowing in, as the oil flowed out. Um, But for the church, what um, what had been established by those medical missionaries was a bond of love with the ruling family, because the ruling family, and they've said this publicly, is they said that these these missionaries came uh, before we had oil. They they loved us before we had um, oil, before we had money, and so that uh, created just a goodwill between missionaries and uh, the local people of the land. So as the the cities grew, uh, they also accommodated uh, Christians, uh, specifically even evangelical Christians, but also Anglican and other other traditions. And so there's been just a good relationship. And so there's a, we, I hold a visa here in this country as a evangelical priest. Um, and there's a, there's a good uh, mentality here of, of tolerance towards other faiths. An evangelical priest. I didn't know we had those. Yeah, I, I am married again, but yes, I am a priest. <laughs> so you're not a very good priest, but you are a priest. Priesthood yes, of all a, believers. A, a protesting one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Well, 
you know, and, and clearly, you know, Dubai is a very, like you just said, it's a very, inter, very international city. And uh, did you say something like 90% of the residents of, of Dubai are non-Emirati? Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. It is the UAE has the highest proportion of international migrants to population in the entire world. It's kind of ground zero for the global migration phenomenon. Um, and yeah, not, nine out of 10 people are from somewhere else. Uh, that live here in the UAE. So even though 100% of the population of the citizens of the UAE are Muslim, doesn't mean the residents. So clearly there's a huge, you know, opportunity there too. So, you know, serving in an international, I've been a part of an international church and we lived in Asia. You know, there's some real uniquenesses to that. What are some of the unique blessings and challenges of pastoring an international church that maybe the typical pastor in America that might be listening to this show would just be like, wow, I, I can't imagine that. So can you just help us understand a little bit of what is pastoring like? What's what's what are the goods? Mm. What are the downs? Mm. Yeah, I mean, so so much. I, I mean, uh, I think anytime I start talking about international churches, I do uh, want to be quick to emphasize that the most important thing about that phrase is certainly the second word. Um, it, being the mm. church is more important mm. than what describes it. And so I think we can talk about a little, a lot of different um, so-called models of church, you know, whether it's house church or um, even we can talk about on, along ethnic lines of the black church or the white church, or, um, you know, there's different ways we can talk about church. Um, but the important thing is that we're talking about church. And so I think that's one thing that, uh, we've really tried to emphasize to our people, and it's been a joy to see their just their hearts come alive to it, is when what they find at, at Redeemer is not a social club for people that don't have friends and just move to town and want to find other people that speak English so that they can hang out with them. It's not right. a um, it's not a cross denominational fellowship with lowest common denominator theology where we just um, kind of give an inspirational talk. We we're trying to be a church which is rooted in the historic faith of Christianity, is preaching the gospel faithfully, is calling people uh, to repentance. It's calling people into covenant membership with one another. Um, and so we, we really value uh, bringing some definition around church. And then international just is kind of a helpful shorthand for describing some of what gives us shape as a, as a church. Um, so I don't know if that's something we want to talk about more later, but I would just, before we even talk about international church, I just want to emphasize that point that, um, one of the joys of pastoring yeah. international church is probably really similar to a lot of pastoral joys in other contexts, because, um, we are just trying to do the same things that faithful pastors are trying to do clear across the world. It just so happens that uh, we're trying to do it in a, in a particular place and with a particular opportunity and emphasis. That's a super helpful point because we do, I'll, I'll admit I do, have a tendency to slap these labels, these categories on churches, as you mentioned, whether it's international church, whether it's indigenous church, and even in the States, you know, you talk about the black church, the white church. And I, I think of the ministry of the Apostle Paul, and you know, there there may have been all sorts of differences between the the church that was formed from a lot of uh, travelers and migrants on Pentecost, a lot of Jews that were in town just for the day of Pentecost, mm -hmm. versus some of the churches that emerged in places like Rome or Colossae. And yet, um, we are a Catholic church, a lowercase C uh, church. We are we are the universal church. What matters most of all is the body of Christ doing what the body of Christ is called to do. So I love that you frame the whole issue with that. Before we do dive into that in more detail, I mentioned at the start of the program 
the issue of contextualization. And uh, we talk in missiology, you're familiar with it, the C scale and how much contextualization is, is too much. We would say, well, certainly if you're at the point where you're, uh, if you're a Muslim background believer in Christ, if you're still affirming the Quran as scripture or Muhammad as a prophet, hey, you've over contextualized. That's too far. On the, on the flip side, what we don't want to be in the business of doing is just taking everything that we do, not just the, the functions, but also all of the forms and the cultural trappings of church in any country and just transporting that and plopping it down into a new language and culture and expecting that to take root, right? So there's, mm -hmm. there's a sweet spot in the middle. What does contextualization look like for you at Redeemer Dubai? If, if I were to show up there and teleport there on a Sunday morning, would it feel like my American church here at home or what would I see? Yeah. Um, you, well, yeah, I've, you know, in terms of, I don't, I don't know what kind of crazy church you go to there in America, but, but what we do here yeah. is we preach, we preach the gospel and, um, call people. We again, do that to, sometimes to at our service, church too. Uh, we try to lift up Jesus. Uh, we try to sing and uh, pray and uh, point people to him and the word. Um, and I, what you'd see here is people from so many different tribes and tongues. I don't remember last time we counted, but something like 60, 70 nationalities, um, and it's just a joy to see across the room, uh, you know, Indians standing next to Nigerians, standing next to Japanese, standing next to the the, the French guy from Senegal who's married to a Chinese lady. Um, and I, you know, I just remember when I uh, when I was in university, when I was in college, and I took a trip over to Uganda, East Africa, and I remember so vividly that first day we were worshiping together in that church. That wasn't an international church by any stretch, but. What um what struck me was that these these people they've they've walked here from these tribal villages to this conference. I have nothing in common with these people, and here we are, uh, you know, singing a very uncontextualized song. I think it was you know, and can it be or something? Um, but to see the passion with which they were singing it, I was like, these are my people, and it, and it just not it blessed me uh, to see the transcultural reality when truth is delighted in. And um, and we have we just have the privilege of seeing that every every time we we gather for worship, um, and so now the contextualization thing. So, you know, you're going to get me on a hobby horse here, so you guys have to stop me. But I would I would say that I don't a lot think of we will a lot of the the C that that C scale stuff that's like from what the 70s. So I think that's old wine skins for new wine, and when what we're trying to do in international church. Uh, number one, we don't think this is the only answer to the global need for, for gospel advance. Um, again, the church is what Christ is building and the church is what is going to prevail. The church is what he bled and died for. And so the church in all its forms is the answer to the need for global gospel advance. And international church is one uh, kind of slice at that. Um, but the, I feel like the C scale, my, my thought on that would be it's a helpful tool to think about, um, but yet could be an unhelpful master. And so what, for us, the international church is primarily uh, placed in cities. And so the questions that we're asking have a lot more to do with globalization and urbanization and those how those are in, impact how we think about church and how we think about our ministry strategies than uh, a C-scale. Because for us, again, with so many different nationalities, who are we going to try and contextualize to? Which one should we contextualize to? There are some things that we can do. We certainly, um, and we certainly try and do that to celebrate the different cultures. 
But if we had a, a sort of controlling impetus that we have to be a certain level on the C scale, then it would, it would really run us a little bit of, of, um, crazy if we were doing that in a traditional way. So again, what we're trying to do is, is more of think through who is the globalized audience that we're trying to reach, this English-speaking, globally mobile, urban professional, um, what are the things that they need? And, um, and what they need is the gospel. And so we just try and keep it simple and, and focused on that. So I think to answer your question, contextualization is important. Uh, it's important to think about your context. Uh, but at the same time, a lot of those conversations just go pretty quickly into, hey, what are we wearing and what are we eating and what language are yeah. we using, which I just don't feel like those are always the most helpful conversations for an urban context. Well, let me flip the question just in a different way then. Um, if, what are you, what do you, what have you learned and seeing in the church in Dubai, for instance, that you wish you could export back to the churches in America, maybe the church in America that you came from? You know, there's, there's a simplicity about ministry here uh, because we, because we represent so many nationalities, we tend to not feel a, a burden and a need to speak into the, the current events of every um, of everything that hits the headlines, just because what's right. important to one group is not important to another. And so I do think it's important for the church to speak into current events, especially if they're, if their church members represent a very specific portion that's affected by it. But yet at the same time, there is a, a, um, you know, we don't try and be simple in the sense of dumbing things down, but we do try and be really clear uh, about the main things. And I, and I think that's something that as I observe, I, I've been outside the U, lived outside the U.S. for a long time, but certainly have taken trips. And I do think that's something that I wish would be more prevalent in the U.S. would be a, a contentedness with the plain preaching of the gospel and I just feel like pastors are getting burnt out by feeling like they have to speak into everything um, that the culture is talking about when they're called to herald the gospel and, and display it through a church that's modeled after it. Mm. I love the perspective that you're bringing here. The gospel ministry is simple. What, what we do, our lives are complex, but the ministry of the gospel, there's a beautiful simplicity to it there. But we do want to dive deeper, and we're going to do that more with Scott Zeller, executive pastor of Redeemer Dubai, after this quick break. Hi, I'm Scott Dunford, and I'd like to share with you about a new nonprofit ministry established to help churches, Christian schools, and other ministries protect children and prevent abuse. Rich Hamar from Church Law and Tax states that the number one reason that drives churches to court is child sexual abuse. I can't think of anything more devastating to these lives, their families, and our witness before a watching world than sexual abuse that takes place in ministry. The traumatic impact often leaves the vulnerable not wanting anything to do with God or his people. Furthermore, as ministry leaders, our efforts toward evangelism, discipleship, and spiritual formation are not only neutralized, but shattered. Evangelical Council for Abuse Prevention was formed last year to help ministry leaders understand the complexities of child protection and abuse prevention. 
They are establishing standards and an accreditation program that will help verify that appropriate measures are in place at your church or ministry. Learn more about them and their good work at abuseprevention.org. Find a helpful and free assessment tool to help you see how you measure up in this area. Go to abuseprevention.org and click on the link for this resource assessment. Evangelical Council for Abuse Prevention. Pray for them and follow along for this accreditation program coming soon. Brooks Buser, president of Radius International. I am here with Mark Dever, senior pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist and president of Nine Marks. When you go to a culture that's a different language than yours, you're ending up in a kind of majority language that's been reached. And there are other peoples still more hidden, and it's those people who are often almost entirely unreached. And they take more cross-cultural effort is there a way we can better train people to have more realistic expectations of what life is like in the kind of two steps away from my culture and be able to sustain family life with its normal difficulties there so that there can be a long years and even decades long witness in that culture. And it seems like Radius is set up to provide that training. Radius is about reaching unreached people groups. Go to radiusinternational.org, radiusinternational.org. And we're back with Scott Zeller, another Scott, um, executive pastor for Redeemer Church in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. And a fun, fun little bit of insider information here, too. How do we keep the two Scots straight? Well, we have in our chat channel and everything here set up for the uh, recording of this episode. We have Scott Zeller and we also have Dunny, Scott Dunford. However, maybe our Australian listeners can correct me. I, I, the way that I understand it is, is maybe we shouldn't be calling you Dunny, Scott. Um, yeah, not recommended. Maybe that has some unfortunate connotations. <laughs> That's one thing you learned at international church ministry is how to offend everybody. Yeah. Mm. Uh, because every day I'm finding out new ways to offend people. So <laughs> Offending everybody is my spiritual gift, I'm told. <laughs> maybe I should get into, I don't know if you have any open staff positions, but maybe we should do that. Scott, why don't you just dive in and get us back on topic here? Sure. We want to talk a little bit with you just about like, how do international churches like fit, fit, fit into the broader mission of seeing the nations come to come to Christ? So mm. how have you seen international churches, not just yours, because and I realize there, there's some sensitivities even where you're located that you have to be aware of, but there's a lot of international churches all over the world, and many of them are in places where you can't be a missionary traditionally. So how mm-hmm. have you seen international churches resource national churches or this, you know, the, the the growing little number of believers in certain places and spur national evangelism in areas with that have high numbers of unreached people groups? How are you seeing, you know, to rephrase that in a simpler way, how are you seeing international churches be catalysts for, for greater missions involvement? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And and part of it would be continuing uh, something I started earlier, which would be, uh, you know, there's a, there's a classic Ralph Winter article where he talks about the three phases of, of the modern mission movement. Um, and it's kind of, you know, the coastlands to inland uh, and then, you know, Donald McGavern and, and Cameron Townsend, the, the people groups. And uh, if you've ever taken perspectives, I'm sure you've read that. And then since then, everybody's tried to be the one who defines what the fourth wave is and um, right. and so I won't be the, I won't try and do that, but I do think it certainly has something to do with globalization and urbanization because those are the just massive things that have happened 
uh, in the last generation, uh, last 20, 30 years that we can't, not, we can't ignore those things. And so I'll get around to answering your question specifically about Amish people groups. But again, just if we think, so if international churches traditionally, who's primarily there in those churches are those who are, are, are not from the place where they're gathering. So they're, they're in what there was called a migrant. They're an international migrant. If international migrants were a people group, uh, they would be the largest unreached people group in the world. So unreached people group, the largest one is around 135 million um, people. I looked that up today on Joshua Project. Um, there's an estimated 272 million international migrants in the world. And a lot of those are refugees. Plenty of them are refugees because uh, mm -hmm. they're coming from conflict zones or other things. Um, but a lot of them are international migrants by choice. Um, they are, I, I read something from Price Waterhouse that millennials have um, this expectation. 71% or 71% of millennials expect and want to do an overseas assignment during their career. And so there's there's migration in this, this element of the expat um, in these global cities of the world. They are people unto themselves. They're not just a pathway to reaching other people. Um, but they are people unto themselves that have chosen um, or found themselves in places that are not their homes. And so mm -hmm. churches that are sort of these outposts for the outsiders, the people that don't feel at home in these places, um, these churches can provide a context of belonging uh, in community. And then, of course, yes, mobilize them for asking the question, who is my neighbor? And, you know, as an expatriate in the country, their neighbor, it might be another expatriate. And that's really exciting because that other expatriate might be someone totally different. The Persian mm. in Turkey could be witnessing to his, uh, you know, Syrian neighbor who's sitting next to him in, on the bus or his German uh, boss. You know, so there's all these different expatriate things where the gospel just spreads faster than any pandemic virus could because um, expatriates are. Uh, working with each other, or their neighbor might be their host, their host country, um, and that certainly is an opportunity as well. Like you said, where um, international churches um, can be uh, recognized and allowed in ways that uh, national churches are not in some cases, but that doesn't mean that they can't be involved in the greatest, the Great Commission to speak the gospel to everyone who's there. So. Well, put yourself, if you don't mind, let's do a little thought experiment in the position of somebody who lived in the U.S. who caught the missions bug and was saying they had a heart for frontier, unreached, you know, pioneering type situation, mission, uh, 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 people groups, and uh, let's say let's say Muslim people group in particular. Um, and they said that, and the way that I want to reach that people group is I want to come and, and plug in and be a part of a church like yours, an international church and a, a place of commerce, a, you know, an international location. Um, are there any dangers? Well, how would you advise that person? Is there a danger in a believer seeing being a part of that type of a church as being a replacement for a form of, of not only church planting, but a form of evangelism and discipleship that's much more deeply enculturated into the, the national, the local um, context? You know, I, w I would say, you know, certainly, I mean, th there's always um, you know, anything we do at, at best has mixed uh, wisdom and motivations. And so at, at any point, a, a something that we decide to do could uh, miss the mark for what our objectives are. But 
if I was guiding that person, uh, I would I would say think principle first before practice. Think theology first before methodology. And so, yeah. what does what does the Lord require of you? And um, if there's a church, whether it's international church, whether it's house church, whether it's national church, whatever the descriptor might be, if there's a church already at least proximate to that place or that people that you feel a call of God to go and reach, why would you not join with that uh, church? Why would you not join with those people that are already there, that the Holy Spirit is already working among in that same place, um, whether they be international church or, or some other kind of church? Because the the uh, what you'll get there is you'll get the church, and so and the church is always transferable. If it's the true church, it's always going to be transferable to its neighbor uh, because that's what truth does. That's what spirit and truth is. And so, I would just say that the international church could be a great start. You know, we sometimes we use the analogy here of of Mount Everest. You know, when you're, I don't know if you guys have climbed Mount Everest. I know I haven't, but I've I've watched some movies. Oh, many times. Oh wait, no, and, I've never um, met the did and, you say uh, Everest? Yeah, oh, yeah. Everest. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So if you're climbing Mount Everest, uh, you don't just run to the top. You there's these base camps, right? Uh, you go to the base camp, and then you kind of acclimate to that altitude, and then you go to the next one. You acclimate to that altitude, and you go forward. And all of our missions heroes lived in a world where that wasn't possible uh, because mm. of transportation because of global communication and commerce, they had to take the run to the top approach. And most of them died in the effort. Um, you know, we remember Hudson Taylor and Adoniram Judson uh, and all those guys, but Judson was the anomaly for just living longer than three or four years in Burma. Um, and so that they did that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be the model. Um, there can be base camps along the way to these um, very important and valid pioneering goals. And what people might find along the way is that their best ministry is actually not this, that so-called summit, um, but what the Lord's called them to is to stay at one of those base camps and be an equipper and to be a mobilizer. And that's our, and that's our hope here at Redeemer is that our church would be a mobilization ministry uh, that from here, because of doing ministry here in this church, we have a thousand people at our church that a thousand people would be mobilized uh, for gospel advance because they were part of this church. And um, that's going to have an impact far greater than I could ever have if I um, tried to run up to the top all by myself. Well, and just to reinforce something you're saying too, in reading through some, some biographies of Hudson Taylor, uh, I was doing earlier in the year, you know, you, you recognize that, yeah, he was somebody who was going up the river and reaching um, people groups and, and people in inland China that, uh, and, and in mainland China that nobody had yet reached, but he wasn't able to do that apart from the, the British Missionary Society of the day, apart from those camps and the, those uh, missionaries that were already mm -hmm. living there yeah. um, long term, uh, apart from crashing with them um, for, for a period of months, for a period of years. Uh, otherwise, somebody like him coming with very little formal training, very little background, w wouldn't have been able to do hardly any of that work that we now look at historically as being so important. And so I, I think what you're saying probably still holds true in our current context. What would you say to a pastor, though, who's thinking of moving overseas and working in an international church? What what pros or cons, what cautions, what counsel would you have for somebody in that situation? Man, I, well, first of all, I would just say do it. Uh, absolutely. And um so, and come and join us or talk to us. There's so many exciting opportunities around the world in international church ministry. There's, 
um, in even the last couple of months, have talked to international churches uh, that are looking for pastors in in Shanghai and in Thailand and in Paris and in Turkey. Um, and there's so many opportunities uh, for this kind of ministry. And the and it really does it does take equipping and training. But if you're a pastor in the U.S., you're you're really so close to being ready to be there uh, because again, what we've been talking about is. What's the main need here is for clear gospel preaching, uh, biblical discipleship, a church that's shaped after the gospel where people are being pointed to growth in Christ and to disciple making. And if you're able to do that, if you're already qualified as an elder at a church, a gospel preaching church in America, then, uh, man, you're, you're so far along the way. So really at that point, what you have to just grapple with is some of the challenges of international church. It's, it's distance from, from uh, the U.S., from family. Uh, it's doing a ministry that has a huge turnover. Um, our, so I mentioned our church, um, you know, the number of, of hundreds of people. Um, our membership is about 600 people. I ran the numbers uh, recently, and 50% of our church, it's a, a 10-year-old church, over 10 years old, 50% of the church has come in the last three years. Um, mm. But our numbers have stayed relatively consistent for over that time. And so what that means is there's people come and go all the time. Um, it's the cities like this international church ministry, they're migrants cause they're on the move. And so that's exciting. That's one of the great potentials of international church ministry because you have this opportunity to, um, to make an impact in someone's life. Uh, we hear all the time from our members, man, I just, I can't, I wish there was a church like this back in my home country. Can, can you plant a church back in this uh, city where I'm from? And we say, no, we can't, but you can, uh, mm. take what you've learned here and, and go and do that. Mm. So that's one of the great opportunities, but it's also ta- it's also relationally challenging because you're having this, you know, acts, you know, in Acts uh, twenty, they 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 go, they go to the beach uh, with uh, the elders, go to the beach with Paul and send them off, and it's this tearful scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, in international church ministry, you got to go to the beach a lot. You got to go to the beach mm-hmm. again and again. Yeah, and you do have to have that mentality because you know pastoring certainly like in. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, we were just talking about that before we got on the show. You know, I, I live there and and Scott has good friends with our pastor there, Benjamin Verbacek. And like in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, people live within like five miles of their mother. Like that's that it's they don't move. They don't want to move. They stay there mostly. It's a stable kind of ministry and it's generational. Right. And you you can preach and teach and disciple differently when you've got grandparents and great grandparents and you have this legacy that you're building into. And it is a different kind of ministry when you've got people that maybe they view your church as like, you know, they have their home church back home. They're in this place for a year. They're connected with you, but they still have their connections back home. And and they know and you know that they're going to be transferring through. That takes a different mentality as a pastor to not mm. feel deflated, right, all the time. And I kind, of, I kind of feel that out here where it's a very transient place. And I mean, we just had, you know, we have, we had a guy that was on the 49ers in our church and, and within, you know, one day he got cut, got signed by someone else and is somewhere else, you know, and it's like, Ooh, I, I had to adjust to that. Right. Like this is kind of life in ministry, uh, in those yeah. kind of places. Yeah. And I, but I think as a pastor, the exciting thing can be the same where to not underestimate the the potential and long-term faithfulness mm. in one place where yeah. even as these people are coming and going, in an international church context, um, you know, to have that stability of being over time and to be able to welcome people well and send them well and, and shepherd yeah. them through those transitions. Um, so you're developing some muscles that maybe you wouldn't if you were in a, 
a smaller town or, or some other kind of context. Uh, but I think in terms of if I was speaking to a pastor, I would say, don't you think about it as a one one year fun adventure to go live in another city, mm. but think about what could happen if you were, um, you know, in Bangkok for 10 years and impact yeah. a, a sort of a decade of people coming in and out of that city. That's huge. And mobilization is a legitimate ministry. Uh, I, 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 we're familiar with the categories of there's goers, there's senders. And maybe there's other categories that we would add to that. Most people, though, can be grouped into probably one of those two. If you want to have a binary approach to it, you do need senders. And if we're going to have a view of missions that says, right, it's not just a Western project as as much as God has in the past been gracious to the Western church and its ability to send missionaries at a scale. Uh, now it's from every nation to every nation. Yeah. What does that look like for a North American or for a, for a North American pastor? Well, there's many places and they're the hardest places in the world and the places of greatest gospel need where someone who looks like me or has a resume like me or a, or a digital life like me that isn't you know clean from a security perspective can't be very effective in some of those places, not as easily, mm. but we can be effective in one of those base camps as you're describing. I right. can disciple people who can reach into some of these places that are even closer to the front of the battle lines of the kingdom. Um, I, I may not be at the front, but I can be um, a little bit closer um, by engaging in a ministry like that. Scott, thank you for the perspective that you're able to bring on this. Um, we are uh, really grateful for your church, for the way that your church has been a blessing to ABWE. And we have many mutual friends that we could uh, talk about at length, yeah. um, but we're grateful for all those connections. What can people do if they want to hear more from you, more about your ministry, more about Redeemer? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, you know, you can reach out to me. I don't know if you guys uh, can put up some notes or something, but I'm happy to share my email. It's just mm -hmm. scott at RedeemerDubai.com. Um, easy to find, easy to get. Um, on Twitter, scott underscore 2300. There's 2300 unreached people groups in India, so let's try and reach mm -hmm. all of them. Um, and so, yeah, I would love to be in touch with anyone. And I'll just throw this in as well. We, we've said a couple of things to pastors and, um, maybe, yeah, just here at the end, I also would want to say that international church pre presents an incredible mobilization opportunity for people, not in vocational ministry, mm -hmm. uh, but the people in mm -hmm. finance, the people, the people in architecture, the doctors, the teachers, um, that are in churches, uh, in the U S to not just think about sending as, um, you know, learning, learning the language and doing that all as worthy and as valuable as that still is. Um, but that person who can teach English in your church, and if they're an effective disciple maker, maybe it's time to tap them on the shoulder and say, Hey, what, what have you ever thought about going and doing this, uh, in an international church context where you can just jump right in. And so, um, just to say that as well, that mobilization, mm -hmm. uh, looks beyond only just one kind of vocation, but it looks to all yeah. vocations. And I think international churches present a context for that. So. So happy good. to talk about all those things if people want to chat more. Thank you so much, Scott Zeller, for joining us today. And thank you for listening to the show. To get more content, go to missionspodcast.com or check out abwe.org slash podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. To ask a question or suggest a topic, email alex at missionspodcast.com. And we'll see you next time on the Missions Podcast.